So today, I'm going to talk about God seeking us and us seeking God back. And um, when I was studying what it is to seek, that I realized that there are commands about seeking God. There are um, just some plain facts about seeking God, some warnings about seeking God, um, and then some promises. And a lot of times we focus on the promise that we get at the end if we seek God, but we don't always necessarily do the whole directions, yet we still want the promise. And um, like I was saying last night is that if we miss the full directions, we're not going to get the end result in the end. So we have to make sure that we're like really paying attention to make sure we get the full, the fullness of the scripture. So... Um, I've, I've realized that with this, that a lot of times we have truly misrepresented God. We have been sold almost like a bag of goods about what God was supposed to do for us and how we were supposed to get this and how this salvation thing was supposed to look. And because it doesn't often look that way, I think we get really discouraged. And we're hoping for something that he never said he would do. It's just like man said all this stuff was supposed to come to us to try to, I think, get us um, as a sales pitch for God. And we have become like a little Amway-ish that we feel like we have to sell God to get people to come in. And, you know, like, you know, when you get a salesperson, they tell you everything that's just so wonderful and how great it is. And then you get it and it's like... <sighs> wasn't all that good. Like, that thing got a couple of things that are messed up with it. And because we didn't really get to see the full aspect of God and what salvation really is and what this walk with God really, really looks like, we, um, we, we're a little disappointed at times. And then you don't want to say you're disappointed because then you're talking about Jesus. You shouldn't say you're disappointed in Jesus. That seems offensive. But, um, I realize that it's not so much that we're disappointed in Jesus. We're disappointed in who we were sold Jesus was. So the sales pitch was wrong. So trying to then correct the sales pitch is what we got to try to do and see what it really is that he said. You know, like if your car in the manual says it goes just to 80 miles and somebody told you, but if you really push it, you may get to that, <laughs> and then you like really trying to push it, and it never quite gets there. Well, the man you never said that. That was that sales guy right. trying to get you to get something that he saw you wanted. Right. Right. Yeah, doggone. <laughs> so, <laughs> if we're really honest, you know, I think we want God to give us stuff for deciding to join in on this salvation thing. We think that we're owed something because we said, okay, God, I'll go along with you. And when he doesn't give us the stuff, then we feel like you foul. Hmm. So we misuse scriptures and twist them to believe that God is talking about material and tangible stuff more than the spiritual and the eternal stuff. So we're convinced that he should be doing everything right here 
And he's like, I don't really care that much about right here. Like, I'm going to make it get by. But my main goal is the one that's going to last forever. This is coming to an end. Though, you know, we're living it, so it seemed like for forever. But he's really not that concerned about that. It's unfortunate for us because we wish he was a little more concerned. So our job is to search or re-examine the scriptures and find the truth in them. And I think when we get a truthful understanding of what God has promised, then we can decide if we're really going to stay with this salvation thing. Because just because you said you were going to start something don't mean you always going to finish it. So you got to make a choice all the way along the relationship if you stay in. Just like with any marriage, it got uglier than what you hoped for. You may decide to leave. <laughs> the same thing with this thing with God. Once you start counting up the cost, the real cost of what it is to be with God, you may change your mind. You shouldn't, but you may. So we're going to start with God seeking us. We're pretty clear that God sought after us, and this is why we are all here today. That it wasn't our doing that why we're saved, but merely the gift that God wanted to impart to us. It's sad that that fact alone doesn't still give us chills. That we've gotten so like, okay, he chose me. Like, that used to be a thrill. That used to be an amazing thing that he chose us. We have taken this whole choice thing way too nonchalantly. We have grown tired of the simple fact that we are God's chosen and that he wants us. Wants us. Like God. And I think we don't see God as being as big as God is. So whenever we make God small, then the fact that he chooses us become small but if we can keep God on the extravagant platform that he is and then to say that guy chose you it looks a lot better because we all want to be wanted like we don't want people to kind of need us because that becomes a pain in the butt after a while like I don't want you to need me to survive I want you to just want to be with me because you like me and you see my value right that's what God says And we all have a void because oftentimes the persons in our lives that we wanted to want us has decided not to want us. But we have a God who wants us, who's seeking us, and we've become unmoved by this. And I think that fact alone we need to repent. And we need to readjust to how awesome it is to have simply been chosen by God. The very fact that God gave us a believing heart is amazing in itself. Because there's so many people who have heard the plan, who have been taught about God and just don't choose him. He gave you that heart. You didn't choose it on your own. Way before we knew anything about this, he said, that one, I'm going to take. That one, I'm going to give the heart to. And we don't even honor that. Right? So some scriptures on God seeking us. When the word is applied to God searching the heart or the spirit, it means he's opening us up, laying us bare, and disclosing what is hidden. 
So when we read this, keep in mind that that is the whole aim of God when he seeks us, okay, to show us what's hidden in us, to lay us bare before him. That's getting rid of all that shame and stuff and being able to come fully before him and then open us, us up to his amazing love. So 1 Chronicles 28, 9 through 10. And it starts off with, And you, Solomon, my son, know that God, the God of your father, have personal knowledge of him, be acquainted with him, and understand him, appreciate, heed, and cherish him, and serve him with a blameless heart and a willing mind. So remember, how do we get a blameless heart? And that's through confession, so that God can cleanse you and keep your heart pure. For the Lord searches all hearts and minds and understands all the wandering of the thoughts. If you seek him, inquiring of him, and requiring him as your first and vital necessity, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. So if you're not seeking him, then you are forsaking him. First Chronicles 28, 9 through 10. Because God's language is quite simplistic. It's either you're doing something or you're not. Like we make a whole bunch of different things that say, well, I'm halfway doing it, and that means that you're doing it. You didn't just mean either you lied or you didn't. Either you told the truth or you told the lie. It's just kind of that simple. So either you're seeking truly after God and you see him as your vital necessity, or he sees himself as forsaken by you. Take heed now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for his sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Now, for us in our New Testament, God has chosen us to be his sanctuary. So now we've got to do it. God knows who and what we really are worshiping. Remember, whatever you fear, you worship. Psalms 44, 20 through 21. It says, if we had turned away from worshiping our God and were worshiping idols, would God not know it? Yes, he knows the secrets of every heart. So here he's saying, I already know that you're not really worshiping me. I already know you're worshiping the idols. Because I already know the secrets. And remember, idols are simply anything you put above God, anything you give your heart to, whatever you give your affections to. And, and the affections can sometimes be to things that are very ugly. You know, not always the pretty things. But like we were saying last night, we worship our shame a lot of times because we're so busy trying to hide it. We worship our pain often because it's so big for us that it's way bigger than God. So that's become your idol. So you're at the feet of your pain instead of being at the feet of God. Psalms 139, 1 through 2. It says, Lord, you have examined me and you know me. You know everything I do. From far away, you understand all my thoughts. So with this truth, why do we put 
so much energy into faking it with God. Like logically we get it, but somehow we still don't come to him honestly. We still fake in our prayers. We still fake when we come into, you know, the assembly with others. We still are acting like God is fooled by our performance when he really knows everything about us. And partly, you know, like we discussed last night, why it's difficult. And a lot of that is the whole thing of why we don't come clean because we're ashamed of who we truly are. But difficult can't be an excuse for not doing something. Jesus did the difficult task on the cross. We can't do the difficult task of becoming intimate. Okay, Proverbs 20 and 27. A man's conscience is the Lord's searchlight, exposing his hidden motives. Remember, God's point in searching us is to lay us bare and to expose us to ourselves so that we will come and search for him. But because of our shame of being exposed, we take his seeking of us as an offense and another person coming after us. So God is hunting us down and certain things are coming into our world and he's showing us stuff about us. And we're like offended that God is saying this stuff about us. Like I'm mad you're telling me that I'm not pure. I'm mad you're telling me that my heart is not clean. You know, I'm mad you're saying that this thing is an idol when I'm, I haven't, I showed you I'm trying to worship you. And he's like, no, it's all been phony. So instead of us saying, God, God really loves me for exposing me so that I can become who he wants me to come, I'm mad. And I'm like, what kind of God is that? Because you could have done another way, I think, of showing me my filthiness. But instead, you let my world crumble just to show me I don't really trust you. Just to show me that when everything falls from underneath me, I don't believe you're going to take care of me? Like, couldn't you just told me that? I would maybe believed you. So what we do is we then buck up and rebel and withhold ourselves from the one that was sent to heal and deliver us. This is why we have to get an accurate view of ourselves and of God. Because until we get that, we'll be charging God with being kind of funky instead of seeing him as being loving. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. It says, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. God is trying to get us to stop the masquerade. When things come in our world, we see how really we feel about God. We see what we really value. We see what hidden things come to the surface. So take heed and let God give you a lesson on you. If you let him teach you about you, you will learn a valuable lesson about him. Because the two cannot be separated. Whenever you learn more about God, you have to learn more about you.
And whenever God is taking you through the school of knowing you, in the end, you're always going to learn about him. But we want to sometimes separate the two, and you can't do it. So I've read this scripture. This was like really, ooh, wow. Um, many, many times. And not until this time did I really see what the scripture is saying. And like at the magnitude. Like a lot of times, and I'm reading Romans 28, 26 through 28. And we focus so much on, I think, kind of that last part that we kind of missed the beginning. Or at least I missed it, you know. Let me say nobody else missed it. And it reads, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So we pray. We ask God for all kinds of things. We beg God for all kinds of things. But the truth is we don't really know what to pray. As a gift from the Spirit, the Spirit is pleading with the Father to give us what we need to be in harmony with God's will. So this is the answer to why we pray for so many things and we seem like God is ignoring us. But what has really happened is the Spirit started talking to the Father on our behalf, saying what really needs to occur for us to be in God's will. The Spirit overrides our request because at the end of the day, God's glory will be seen. This is why we can then go to the end of that scripture that says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Because the spirit intercedes to make sure that the prayers we need to pray get prayed to the father, and then he's answering that. So should we pray? Absolutely. But know that because we don't know how to pray and we don't know what to pray, that's the beauty of having the spirit is that it says, oh, okay, ignore what they just said. They, they, they want this to stop. Okay, you got to let it keep happening because your glory has got to be seen in this. So they're going to be okay. We're going to push them all the way to the end because at the end they're going to come out more like you than they were when they walked in this. So instead of us getting mad and saying, God's not listening, and I'm screaming louder, I'm saying, why don't you hear me, and my prayers are going to the ceiling and no one's there, the spirit, if you got it, is taking over. So sometimes when we're in situations, we need just to say, God, your will be done, which is so hard to do. It's hard to do that because I don't be knowing what your will is. Your will be hard sometimes. Goodness. So it says, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. God gave you his glory. That should be like mind-boggling. If you really value God and his glory, that he gave you that. That's crazy. And like we don't cherish it. We're not like really all that excited that we have the glory, that we have his spirit. And lastly, John 4, 23 and 24. It says, a time will come, however indeed it is already here, when the true genuine worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And that truth means reality. For the Father is seeking just such people as these, as his worshipers. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The only true worship is worship that is in spirit and in truth. God seeks out, lays us bare, and examines us so that we can worship him in spirit and in truth. We must face ourselves completely in order for us to be true worshipers. So can you say you are a true worshiper? Can you really say that you are in tune with the spirit and your truth so that when you come before God, and you live before God, you never represent a lie. He said that you must worship him in spirit and in truth. So then does that mean that any other worship is not true worship? We have been fooling ourselves into believing that we can bring what we want and God must receive it. This is why the spirit is pleading for us. Can you, will you pray and ask God to do whatever needs to be done so that you can become a true worshiper? Or would you rather just do what you do? And did you just get a little frightened to even say that prayer to God? Like do whatever you want to make me true, to make me a real worshiper of you? Because we can sing and rave our hands and shed some tears and do all that and call it worship. But God said, unless it is in spirit and in truth, I don't really want anything. I don't want to be part of what you're doing. It's just like in Amos when he told him, you're doing all this stuff. You're coming to my house. You're giving all these sacrifices. I can't even hear you. Does he hear us if it's not true? Or are we just hearing ourselves? And really, truly, if I had more time, I would just stay there and let us really ponder the magnitude of what that means, that the God of this universe that created all things is seeking us, is coming after us. When in true reality, shouldn't we be the ones solely going after him. Hasn't he done enough? 
the fact that he won't stop seeking us, that he won't stop running after us, is pretty amazing. So on to the next. And I'll say that before we can really take in the next, as far as us being able to go seek God, we have to fully embrace and take in the fact that he's seeking us. We have to fully embrace and, and be in love with the fact that he really wants us and is coming after us. Otherwise, us coming after him is bogus. So hopefully, knowing some of that, it makes us more apt to seek after God. So there are many scriptures that speak of us seeking God, and I'm just going to pick a couple of them, but the whole point of this is for our relationship with God to be reciprocal. So in scripture, when it speaks of us seeking and searching out God, it means to examine, investigate carefully, study out the meaning critically. When we do this, we then will find God. If when you finish searching the scripture, you don't find Jesus, then you have gone in the wrong direction. Studying the scripture is never for knowledge alone. It should always be done to get to know Jesus more intimately. If intimacy is not found at the end of your seeking, if all you can say is I know and I can riddle off scriptures and I can tell you what the definitions are and I can do all that, yet you don't find more intimacy, you went the wrong way. That's never what God intended. And which is why the scriptures say, as you know, you're searching the scriptures because in them you think that's where your life is, but you won't come to me. And I'm the one that has the keys to life. So your search and your journey should always end up at Jesus' feet. So Amos 5 and 4. It says, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me, inquire for and of me, and require me as your required food, and you shall live. First Chronicles 16 and 11. Seek the Lord and his strength. Yearn for and seek his face and to be in his presence continually. So I'm going to read through some other scriptures and notice that the promises that are attached to seeking the Lord. The first one is directed toward Israel. And the verse before it says that you will go off, you'll worship some other false idols, you'll worship these false gods. But he says at the end in Deuteronomy 4 and 29, he says, but... From there, you will search again for the Lord your God. And if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. See, God knows that we're going to wander off in this journey. He knows we're going to go and worship the false gods. But he's waiting for us to come back. And if we decide to search for the true God again, he will allow us to find him. That's just amazing. Like, he, you know, he set us up, saved us, gave us his spirit. I know you're going to act crazy. I know you're going to go do all that. But if you ever decide that you want me, I'll let you find me. Because, see, God never plays hide and seek. It's us who always does the hiding. God is always just standing in front of the tree. It's us running behind it saying, God, can you see me? Second Chronicles 7 and 14, which we, you know, love this little verse. And it says, if my people who are called by my name 
shall humble themselves, pray, seek, crave, and require of my necessity, my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. But what we want is just the forgiveness of sin and the healing of the land. I don't really want to go through being humble. That's making me break myself down. I don't really want to go. I mean, we do a little prayer, but we're not really praying. What God requires is prayer. You know, because prayer for him is just honest communication. Not you coming up saying X, Y, and Z, but are you honestly telling me what's in your heart? Seek. That means like you're really on a search party to find God. Have you looked everywhere for him? Have you really put out a team to find God? Are you just, you know, like lifting up the covers? And you say, oh, he ain't under there, so I guess he don't want to be found right now. Are you craving him? Like meaning you cannot be without him. Then I'll hear from heaven. Then I'll forgive your sins and heal the land. That's a whole lot before forgiving and healing. And then we wonder why we, we, we're not healed. Because we ain't done none of this. Then we're disappointed in God. Jeremiah 29. 13 and 14. It says, when you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. God's decree. So if your aim, first and foremost, is to find God, he says you won't be disappointed. So whenever we're feeling disappointed in God, is because we're not trying to find him. We just want the stuff we think he can provide us. So then we're going to move to Christ's words, why he was here, telling us what we need to do. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, and I know I have a lot of scriptures. It says, come to me, all who are tired from carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. My, place my yoke over your shoulders and learn from me because I am gentle and humble. Then you will find rest for yourselves because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes. So when our walk with God gets too heavy, let that be an indication that somewhere we miss God. This should never be heavy. And, 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 and God has become heavy. Doing all the requirements to be with him and the church world and all, it's heavy. It was never supposed to be heavy. It was supposed to be a light thing. He was easy. Why we make him so complicated? So then we got to go back and let him teach us. And learn from him. Because he's light. He's easy. And we have to make sure. Another version um, translation says, don't let anyone put anything ill-fitting on you. Yeah. 
because that's not Christ. God made this salvation specially designed for each one of us. This Holy Ghost he gave us was form-fitted just for us. So whenever it gets too tight and you're like, this don't feel right, then know that somehow we miss God in the process. Matthew 6, 30 through 34. It says, why do you have so little faith? Remember, this is Christ speaking. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So remember the equation is to seek above all else, live righteously, and then he will give you everything you need. So why do we consume ourselves with so much worry and care about all the daily living things when he said, I'm going to give you everything you need. And even if we look back, because we've all had like really bad moments of not having no money and stuff like that. And you're scared and you're worried and you're like, good Lord, where's it going to come from? But if you ever really just look back, what days didn't you get something that you needed? Just in that day. He provided what you needed that day because he's only concerned with one day at a time. We get so consumed with the month, the year, all. He's like, just can you just rest in me for just today? I got enough to take care of you tomorrow. Just today, think about. So don't get mad at him because we then leave out all the other instructions. So sometimes when we don't get what we need, it's because we haven't sought him above all else. We got concentrated on the idols that we started praying to. So Luke picks this up, but he changes up some of the stuff in the passage. I should say he adds to, not changes. Um, Luke 12, 31. Again, it says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give those to those in need. This will store up treasures for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So if our concern is stuff over the kingdom, then we know where our heart is. We must ask God to change our desires to a desire that is for him and his kingdom above all else. 
He is offering us the kingdom, but we don't want it. We would rather have the tangible what we can see, feel, and taste. He knows our hearts aren't really with him because if they were, we would never worry or fret. So again, he's going to lay us bare, examine us, and expose us to show us that your heart's not with me. And then you can see him feeling a little sad about that because you can imagine that after all he's done and what he's really offering us, the kingdom, right? That why isn't it enough to calm our fears? Why is he saying, I'm going to give you everything I have, my whole reign, everything is yours, yet I'm still afraid that I won't be able to pay a bill? Or make it just, I'm giving you my entire kingdom. But what I want is job security. It's a little crazy. And I want you, but you don't want me back. So that's kind of sad for the Jesus to sit there. And we all know what it feels like to want somebody and they don't want us. So imagine that's how God feels because we don't want him. That's some bad feelings. So I'm going to end it with Psalms 27. And this was what we need to pray for above all else. We need our desires to change. And I think until we are here wholeheartedly, we will struggle with the will of God for our lives. So Psalms 27, 4 and 5 reads, I'm asking God for one thing, only one thing to live with him in his house my whole life long. I will contemplate his beauty. I will study at his feet. That's the only quiet, secure place in a noisy world, the perfect getaway, far from the buzz of traffic. And we read this, how many times have we read that? But, you know, like I said last night, we read stuff, but it's not in our hearts. So can you really, until we get to the place, like you get to wait till you get there to say, I'm only going to ask you for one thing. We're not asking for just this one thing to dwell in the house of the Lord. That is not all we're asking. That's not first and foremost what we're asking. Like we want to be there, but I got a couple of things above the dwelling just in the house of you and, and, and sitting at your feet and thinking about how wonderful you are and studying you. Verses 7 and 8. It says, listen, God, I'm calling at the top of my lungs. Be good to me. Answer me. When my heart whispered, seek God, my whole being replied, I'm seeking him. Because whenever we cry out to God, the answer will always be, seek God. Whenever I'm despair, whenever I'm afraid, whenever I'm scared, whenever I'm feeling lonely and scared, the spirit is always going to say, seek God. Because it knows 
that if you seek God above all else, you'll never have to worry about anything else. Verses 13 and 14. He says, I'm sure now I'll see God's goodness in the exuberant earth. Stay with God. Take heart. Don't quit. And I'll say it again. Stay with God. Seek his face above all else. Tell him the truth that his face has not been your top priority, but you now desire him more than everything else. If you can, tell him to do whatever it takes to get you in the will of God. Trust God enough that he will never have plans for you that are not perfect and loving. And that's where we falter is because I'm afraid to say do what you will because I'm scared that you're going to do stuff that's going to hurt me. The whole surrender thing is, is very frightening. And then we look at, you look at scripture and the track record. He done done some stuff to folks. Like, I don't want to be Joe. I don't want you to think that highly of me. <laughs> Maybe we're trying to disappoint God so he don't put all that on us. <laughs> oh, I'm not that good, Jesus. <laughs> you know, you can't trust me. <laughs> ah, you take everything from me, I'm leaving. See, he knew Job had the ability to stay. So we're scared of that. You think of Jesus? He threw the man up on the cross. Forsake him? Did all this stuff? That's a lot. So I'm like, are you going to do that to me? If I say just do what you want, here's my life. Take over. You're going to be singing all them songs. <laughs> you know, you're kind of nervous. Do I, gonna, do I really want you to just take over? I don't know if I want you to take over. So God knows our heart. So he's waiting for us. To get there. But the thing is, is that if we don't willingly go, then he's got to force us to go because he's going to get the glory in the end. Your life has to represent his glory. It has to. Because he said he's going to get us to that designated place at the end. He's not going to live his work undone. Right? So we might as well just willingly go. Why don't we get that? We still keep fighting the whole way. So it's about us deciding to say, I surrender. And surrender is it's, it's a daily thing. It's not a one-time surrender. It's not, a, it's not even, sometimes it's done eight times in a day. It's, it's just a constant thing of saying, okay, I got to give you that. I got to let go of that. Every time something comes up, it's daily. It's sometimes minute by minute. It's just... Walk in surrender. Walk in that I have to give this to you. And don't think of so much down the road. That's where we mess up, thinking of what's going to happen and all the perplexities that can come. Trust God's will. Trust his love for you. And trust that he's going to take care of you no matter what. 